Bot Talk Podcast. So, Martin, nice to have you here uh, on our um, uh, podcast. Uh, and uh, Linecraft uh, is all around you on your t shirt back there. Tell us all about uh, what is Linecraft. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and thanks for uh, giving us the floor, Andre. Um, uh, Linecraft started as a uh, media asset management uh, solution, but by now um, it's become a fully featured online workspace for video teams, for video professionals. Huh? So uh, not technology for the purpose of uh, automating, but really using smart services to improve the job of video professionals, because um, as you know, good enough, uh, our customers are challenged with uh, ever increasing volumes of video that they have to uh, uh, ingest and process and ever more versions they need to uh, output. Uh, they used to make one single television program for the local broadcaster. Now, whether you're a podcaster or a, a blue chip producer, you need to sometimes create thousands of versions and that uh, commands automation. Again, not for the, for the sake of automation, but uh, helping people managing that vast uh, amount of content. That's what Minecraft is all about. Wow, and who is your um, like typical customer? What are, what are they looking for when they come into you? Um, that's always a, a tricky question because if I say, uh, we're going for the largest brands like Warner Media and the Associated Press, two of our flagship customers. Then, uh, as a podcaster, you might feel yourself uh, intimidated. Um, uh, but uh, uh, conversely, uh, we we happily support one-man bands and starting independent producers as well. Our product is genuinely scalable, and it scale can scale down. It can scale uh, up which uh, whether you're large or small, it has the advantage that we follow your production requirements. But, um, you know, I think one of the, the startup challenges is to find a proper focus uh, to have a crystal clear marketing. And that uh, has been a challenge for us because the, the, the pitch for a, a large brand um, with the billions in revenue it's completely different than um, making an offering for a smaller producer. Um, the, the common denominator, however, is uh, larger volumes or extremely large volumes of video and quite often geographically spread and they, they have to make sure content is more easily exchanged across the organization. So think the Associated Press. They have main offices in New York, DC, and London, and perhaps thousands of branch offices all over the world. Um, these guys have a very strong incentive to uh, make sure their operations run online in the cloud, um, and that it's done in such a way that uh, people from uh, wherever they log in can easily access uh, and exchange uh, the content. Um, and that works as well with um, uh, professional documentary makers. These are often smaller producers, but um, if, if you look at a, a feature length documentary, they've probably used 500 hours of rushes, raw material 
for one hour of finished product. Now, as an archive producer, you don't want to look at these pictures from the beginning to the end, manually transcribing the audio and, 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 and describing the images. So we give them uh, tools, automatic speech recognition, uh, computer vision, image recognition, to help them processing the video. And now coming to, to the very essence, uh, we can play that trick in scripted entertainment, think feature film or a television series, where we use that technology to match shots with the screenplay. So to effectively uh, automatically cut shots into scenes. Uh, but it's a great tool for documentary makers and journalists as well to uh, automate the, the grunt work and give back time for creative storytelling. Wow, that is very exciting and uh, very, I think, a deep dive uh, to understand what your uh, what your product is all about. And uh, I can imagine uh, there you already mentioned that is challenging to address uh, big companies, but uh, at the same time, smaller companies. In terms of uh, product, you say it's uh, very lean, right? So. Um, how do you how do you address this kind of features? Do you have like feature flags that you know get turned on or turned off for uh, for bigger companies? So how do you how do you manage it uh, manage it in terms of like you know product? Um, the the key thing for for us as a relatively small company is to keep in technical speak a single code branch. Um, if we give up a single code branch, that's shortcut to suicide. Uh, um, by the way, I started by saying uh, our product is an uh, online cloud-based uh, offering, but we have uh, precisely, uh, we have seven customers that run an on-site stack for various reasons. The French government says, content produced by French public money should stay on French territory. Um, and uh, another customer is working on very sensitive, uh, privacy sensitive data. It must stay uh, over there. Others do it for pure performance reasons. Um, they're storing petabytes of content and it would be completely stupid to put that in the cloud. Um, but again, uh, it's a single code base. so. We deploy a new version of our software once or twice per week. It's a fully automated process and we touch all these uh, local installations as well. Um, and further on to your point, how we manage uh, the variety of workflows and the aspect of customization. Um, frankly, it's a matter of giving them the illusion of personalization rather than to, to customize the product because that's not the avenue you want to go. Uh, so it's highly configurable with mechanisms of templates. We can, it, with a single click of the button, we can change the look and feel completely from a news environment to a feature film environment. It's just cosmetics on the, on the surface. Wow, that is uh, very insightful, I think, uh, and also um, like a single code base. Uh, I think many, many of the SaaS companies that uh, listening right now could, you know, take a note of that. Uh, um, and I liked your analogy. It's, it's going to be a suicide if you are not doing that. 
so because you know focus uh, focus is uh, so important. Maybe uh, stepping back a bit, uh, I know for for a fact you've been you've been around for a couple of years. So maybe tell us about you know the uh, the background of the startup. You know why did you start? What, what is your personal background? And uh, you know in terms of uh, how did uh, it all started? Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. Uh, it all started <laughs> when uh, the entire core team of Limecraft uh, was uh, was uh, working for the Belgian state broadcaster VRT, eh? the Flemish radio and television uh, station. A beautiful company, uh, one of the pioneers in terms of digitization when digitization was still a thing. You know, early two thousands. Um, and to give you the complete backstory, I learned IT. Uh, I don't have an IT background, but I learned it on the job at, during my, uh, my the, the job before Verte. And then I realized um, uh, IT is the way to go. Uh, that's really interesting stuff, but uh, I want to do it uh, only in a company where information technology is the blood and vessels. Uh, so I don't want to go working for an insurance company or a bank, with all due respect. I knocked on the door of the, 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 the national broadcaster, and uh, that conversation took no more than 15 minutes. Uh, in front of me was a crazy boss, um, and he, he kicked in by saying, uh, 1999, Andre, somewhere in the near future, Within 15 years, television will probably become interactive and our back offices are not ready yet. You know, Martin, we write screenplays in a Word document. We print it out. We make uh, production notes, pencil and paper on the left-hand side. And that's how we're gonna automate, industrialize the media production process, no way. So uh, he said to me, I'm hiring a team uh, that's going to do uh, applied research and development on digitizing the back office. And he doesn't, didn't refer to uh, digitizing the video as such, but it's all about the metadata. Everybody can do the heavy lifting of, of video and audio. That's the easy part. But understanding the data, understanding the content of the pixels, um, creating a single set of numbers that can be used for automation purposes that was a challenge. And so we did a public company, we did RFPs. Uh, we spent uh, several millions um, in uh, CapEx uh, budgets. Um, there were uh, 17 different brands of software competing for the data. So in the core, there was a big, huge asset management system from a beautiful Swedish company. Then we had Panasonic cameras. Uh, we had uh, Avid and Sony uh, editing software, 17 brands of software fighting, competing for the data. Um, it was a challenge to uh, keep that alive. And that's to say the least. At that very moment, my colleague at that time, co-founder of Landcraft, Nico, we looked at each other and we said, shit, there's a massive opportunity in the market rather than to spend more than 20 million euros. If you give us that money, we write a piece of software from scratch and we're going to do a much better job. But the hard truth is that this is not a lean startup. We were not uh, 
picking one um, part of the application landscape, our challenge was to come with an end-to-end uh, -end integrated approach. And the second challenge was that when we started Limecraft in 2010, um, uh, we had been working for Pioneer for several years. We were five or six years too early on the market with a, a, a cloud-native approach. Our potential customers were on conferences and cocktails, they were talking about the cloud, but it was completely uh, unaccepted at that point in time. And uh, it was a long and bumpy road, uh, just in 2015, where we had to take the decision to either pull the plug or uh, to uh, pivot the company back to uh, uh, normal software, you know, on a DVD. <laughs> Um, just when we took the decision, we were approached by France Television and BBC saying, Martin, we've got a very complicated project here. Um, it's, a, it's a monster project. It's shot in the south of France in Montpellier, roughly 1,000 files per day. And it has to be cut the next business day in Paris. And we just don't have the time to do the logistics manually like we would otherwise do. And we discovered that our sweet spot, uh, our uh, Geoffrey Moore uh, in, in uh, Crossing the Chasms um, says as a, as a startup company, you need to find uh, a fishing pond uh, small enough where you can become the, the market leader in, in 12 months time. Uh, anyway, we discovered uh, counterintuitively that our sweet spot were the most complex, most demanding uh, productions. That's where automation makes sense. These guys had an urgent problem of uh, volume, etc., And we had a solution. Um, and then we started, we became break-even three years later. We're now the third year in a row uh, break-even. And if I should give one piece of advice for fellow startup owners make sure make sure as a manic ass that you get break even uh, as soon as possible or that you can at least be break even overnight if you have to um, taking external capital why is that why is that uh, let's let us dig because that is such an important uh, for me personally such an important uh, um uh question and uh for various reasons so let us dig into that why is that um admitted when when we started the company uh we were on a american style trajectory we make a pitch deck there is no product yet but uh we value it uh arbitrarily at uh, two million we sell 10 percent of the shares for two hundred thousand, and we do the development. Well, that's not how it works in continental Europe. Uh, it might be in more Anglo-Saxon uh, countries, but that's not how it works in Europe. Uh, secondly, the media sector is a beautiful place. It's, it's amazing technology. It's great people. It's, uh, it's a wonderful uh, place to be, but it's hard to find financing. Uh, because it's very niche, 
because we're sometimes dealing with uh, customers that tend to demonstrate very long uh, sales cycles. We had, we tried, we had difficulties in getting access to uh, finance. Uh, in the end, uh, you can't keep on spinning the wheels. In the end, we decided let's cut through the chase. We're gonna make this thing break even, uh, and this is gonna be another another story. Uh, it required us, however, uh, to close a couple of uh, landmark deals because financing is one thing, discovering what's your best sales channel is another challenge. So, you know, we've, we've played around with partnerships, uh, et cetera, et cetera. If you don't have a massive brand, all these partnerships and indirect channels don't work. You have to do it yourself. Uh, every region where we're uh, successfully uh, deployed, um, there is a, a pattern whereby we close the first three or four deals ourselves. And when you see that momentum starting, you see that uh, service providers and, and distribution channels are come knocking on your door rather than you on their door. You see that you start having different conversations with uh, investors banks, uh, equity investors, uh, whatever. The, if, if you can be break even in principle, huh? uh, it's a completely different uh, uh, in, 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 yeah, type of conversation with uh, whomever you need to talk to. Great, great. I think that that's a um, great advice. And I think uh, the uh, the point that you made in uh, in the beginning uh, about differences between American style startup and uh, continental startup is all there. We uh, at Botox really lived it, and the problem is that you read all these books that were written for uh, the Valley startups. So, and you you try to follow that advice, but you know, in reality, in Europe, as you said, you need to uh, really land a couple of uh, these landmark uh, deals in order to also to establish. And um, I also maybe uh, step back about about your um, uh, market uh, entry strategy. You mentioned that you first, when you go to a new market, to a new whatever uh, uh, country, as I suppose, right? Uh, you first uh, um, go and do sales yourself. So a couple of sales you do yourselves, and then you you can scale this kind of process. Can you elaborate on that one? Uh... Yeah, sure. Um, so whether you're you're flying in or uh, staying abroad, um, the first deals you have to do them yourself. Uh, I think it's it's founder-led sales in the very beginning, because for uh, many of our colleagues, you will enter that particular market with a product which is eighty percent finished. Uh, with 60% uh, documentation. Uh, so you're specifically looking for those uh, early adopters for whom their leap of functionality and the value added is more important than uh, perfect documentation. Secondly, more subtly, uh, those types of customers will almost uh, if not uh, always have some specific requirements. Uh, 
Uh, and that requires someone in the conversation that has a very detailed view on the roadmap that can judge if you as a customer ask me that question, okay, that's a minor issue that will cost us five days of uh, customization of this is 100 days and probably not feasible in the time we have in mind. But if you're early enough managing such a process, chances are very likely you can come to a, a respectable agreement on what will be in MVP uh, within uh, the next six weeks. Um, but you almost need a founder of the company to make that judgment, uh, teaching in such a level of detail to a sales representative or worse, a sales channel, uh, what is in, what is not in, or what can be in, uh, is going to be a challenge. And even if it works, I'm afraid your roadmap will go all the place. Um, and that's a challenge eh, for a technology company. Uh, make sure all those requests are uh, filtered categorized, converge to a single code branch that we talked about a couple of minutes ago. Um, if you can keep that um, consistently managed, I think that's the ultimate proof of scalability. Yeah, definitely. Great insights. Uh, what about uh, when you uh, when you talk about um, um, about uh, this uh, this kind of sales process and uh, your um, your first customers? What about now and uh, the maybe the ratio of inbound and outbound leads? Is it more people coming because they know what you're doing? They did some kind of research and they found out, okay, here's a great company line prepped. They seem to uh, check all the uh, check boxes that we uh, require, or do you still uh, do some kind of uh, outbound leads as well? Um, yes, both. Uh, and here's something I have to admit. Coming from the broadcast and professional environment, um, until uh, I would say three years ago, the majority of our efforts was outbound. Think trade shows, uh, specialized conferences like Languages and the Media in Berlin, uh, uh, and obviously IBC, uh, Satis in France, BV in London. Um, and we almost neglected our uh, channels that would lead to inbound uh, approach. Our website was quite static. Now, we were running on a, on a shoestring budget when it comes to marketing. Uh, only recently, for obvious reasons, uh, we had to change that strategy uh, like uh, three years ago. And um, we've done experiments with uh, PR agencies and uh, other instruments, but only recently uh, we discovered the massive power and potential of um, a website which is optimized uh, to uh, catch exactly the, the prospects you want to uh, talk to. Um, and it's really not that hard. You need to understand the mechanics. You need to reverse engineer how Google thinks, but with a couple of good blog posts and, and valuable content, the right wording, uh, you're immediately in the top five of uh, Google results on whatever uh, words you would like to, uh, uh, to be triggered. And if that's not the case, uh, if we would be only in speech to text, for example, where you've got 20, 30, 40 uh, competitors, uh, Otter, Sonics, 
Happy Scribe, Trint, uh, you name them. Um, there it would be very hard to uh, uh, stay on top. And, uh, and if you want to be on top, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Now, I'm not sure if you've read uh, another great book, uh, even smaller than uh, Crossing the Chasm from Zero to One, written by Peter Thiel. Amazing yeah, uh, story yeah, yeah. Uh, where it says, uh, you know, uh, certainly for a, a developing company, uh, competition uh, screws your market. You have to step up, you have to level the playing field, you have to find an area where there is not too much competition, preferably none. Uh, that's where you uh, have to be. Um, and, and so we've, we've luckily with um, our financing model was uh, co-creation, 50% uh, of our development over the years, 14 million in total uh, has been funded by lead customers. So obviously sizable customers that have a budget for uh, um, uh, procuring uh, bespoke development. Um, uh, we managed the intellectual property that it would be vested uh, in our company. And then here comes the trick. Uh, we're in Europe, Andre. We can match that with funds coming from uh, Stadium, Horizon 2020, Creative Europe, all these beautiful instruments which uh, United States companies, uh, they, they I mean, they just have to do it with uh, equity. Our largest competitor uh, was uh, $250 million funded, imagine. Uh, wow, they crazy. Were, they were sold last year to Adobe. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think they did a great job. Mm -hmm. Now, in Europe, I think we don't need to um, uh, pursue the same strategy. That would be stupid because we don't have access to those volumes of capital. So we have to be smarter and behave differently. And I think the key is um, go to your customer, be transparent. Early adopters will like it if they can enter in conversation with uh, what will be in the roadmap. So there's our approach. That's, that's our secret weapon. Um, uh, I would say 12 months of the roadmap, the release plan is absolutely fixed. And, and that's something we can't uh, change. But looking ahead, um, uh, we are open with a number of uh, handpicked number of uh, key customers uh, that appreciate it a lot, that uh, they can uh, have a first hand in the, in the roadmap. Uh, that's a great, actually, sorry to interrupt, but uh, that's a great also sales uh, uh, kind of uh, pitch for long-term relationship with, uh, with the customer. Because you say, okay, twelve months of a of a uh, of a roadmap are blocked, so you have to stay with us at least twelve months, and then afterward, that's a great. And I think uh, our experience also tells that if uh, you know the most serious customers will accept that you are blocked for some times, and then they will uh, they will enter the conversation. Interesting, yeah. Andre. Uh, we lost a couple of seconds, Andre, so Alexander will have to cut this piece uh, out of it, but uh, no, uh, true. Um, I think uh, financing your company differently means making uh, an optimal 
financing balance between uh, paid in money by customers, um, maybe some uh, equity, why not? Uh, it strengthens your balance. Uh, it makes you a respectable company. And then uh, complement it with uh, grants uh, that should not be reimbursed, uh, that doesn't, uh, that don't lead to uh, dilution. That's a much smarter way. And uh, in fact, you're much closer to your, your best customers. You're learning a lot. Uh, if, if you play the, the game rightly, uh, you'll have a product which is much closer to their requirements, just learning about their requirements. And, and uh, yeah, so interesting. Great insights, Martin. Thank you very much. I think that was a, a hell of a show. And I learned personally a lot, and uh, I also checked some of my internal uh, checkboxes of how, what to do and what not to do. So thank you very much. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk with a uh, with such an experienced startup as yourself, and uh, with a with a company um, that broke even the uh, dream of many startups. <laughs> so uh, congrats on that. And maybe um, a couple a couple of things uh, um, um, that we leave our listeners with. Where where can people reach you? Uh, where can they go to um, um, yeah to reach you to talk to you? Um, the easiest is probably uh, www.linecraft.com. There is the uh, contact pages, but uh, apart from that, uh, the more lean back way is to follow us on Twitter uh, or on uh, LinkedIn. Um, we will not spam you. Uh, yeah. I can attest. I can attest to that. Advice. I can attest to that and very, very interesting posts uh, I always follow and uh, really like uh, you guys. And uh, if someone uh, on the uh, on the IBC in Amsterdam, then uh, probably uh, they'll, they're going to meet you there as well, right? Yeah. yeah. All 10, booth uh, F40 and uh, you're welcome. Yeah, perfect. We're going to put it in the show notes. Martin, thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure talking to you and yeah, uh, uh, let's see you uh, sometime soon.